Welcome back to Tea Time with Kate and Keith. And today we have Stephanie here from GFI Apparel, and she's going to be talking to us about her story. And um, she's a little frustrated, and so are we, that her stuff keeps getting banned from Facebook. So we're here to share her story as well. All right, Stephanie, you ready? Yep. Let's get started with the first question. First off, uh, how do you feel about Facebook banning your uh, first part of your story? Well, it was actually part two. Part one is up. Sorry, and it No, it's okay. It's super frustrating because domestic violence is a serious thing and October is Domestic Violence Month. So you would think that these are the topics they want to highlight. Yeah. But I think there's a number of factors to play play into why they keep continuously ban my story. So I'm appreciative of you guys deciding to share the story via interview. So that way that our community and your community can hear it. I think it's important. Of course. So let's get into um, what was your marriage like? Um, you know what? It really wasn't, it was, it was a little odd to tell you the truth. I think odds is the best way to describe it. It, it wasn't the fairy tale. We're going to wake up every morning and love each other kind of thing. It was kind of the opposite. Like I think when we got married, he did his best to actually avoid spending time with me, despite the fact that I was pregnant, despite the fact that we, you know, we should be in that honeymoon phase. Like he would constantly be like wanting to do his own thing. And it was, it was always something along the lines of, I've, you know, I've never had a family before. I've never done this, but I will make this up to you. You know, like his actions and his words never met up. And then it started to get toxic as I let him cross those boundaries. So, so, you know, throughout our dating experience, there was a lot of boundaries crossed already that I didn't address. I just took the blame for it and I married him. So once we got married, it became even worse because all of a sudden it was like, okay, so we're already married. So you should be able to say dirty things to me in bed. You should be able to say fuck. And, and you know, like respectfully, he would say things like you have to call your vagina a pussy. Like I won't accept anything else. Like I know it's funny. It wasn't funny at the time, but like now I look back at it and laugh at some of these things. And, yeah. you know, it's like I would, nothing I ever did was good enough. It was like I would go home, clean the entire house after a long day of work, being pregnant, and I would just wait for him. And he just was never really thrilled to see me. He would start to make excuses. The only time he really wanted to spend time with me was when he had something to gain out of it, which was having sex with me, getting money from me some sort of high or admiration and it just got it got worse and worse it was like clockwork there was a love a love bombing phase then there was an angry phase and then there was this rotation of something crazy happens and then it just kept rotating over and that lasted an entire 10 years and in between the love bombing and the good stuff there was a lot of violence there was a lot of rape and there was a lot of stuff that he tried to normalize it and it's not something you normalize. You don't normalize just because you marry someone doesn't mean they have the right to have sex with you whenever you feel, whenever they feel like it on their terms. You know, sex is a mutual thing. It's about respect and it's about love. And that's never was the case with our situation. And something that always stood out in my mind was in between the love bombing, he'd be like, you're not very pretty, Stephanie. I married you for your personality. 
you're not very skinny, you're not very beautiful, like these little snarky comments that were almost there to keep me in place in that mindset that everything was my fault and I was overreacting and a lot of gaslighting happened. There were, there were so many moments in our marriage that he gaslighted what the truth was. I would seriously break down and cry because I did not know myself. And the first time he really assaulted me and left marks, you know, his reaction was, well, it was self-defense. You attacked me first. And I was like, I didn't attack you. You were cussing me out and you grabbed me and I tried to get away. And he's like, well, well, that's what you have to tell people because our family is important and they're just not going to believe that I would do such a thing because I would never. And I'm like, that's dumb. And when that didn't answer didn't fly, he'd be like, well, I only slapped you, you know? So a punch became a slap all of a sudden. I'm like, what do you mean you only slapped me? He goes, I don't remember balling up a fist to hit you. And I'm like, no, you hit me. There are marks. And he goes, no, that's, that's my handprint. And then he would call his sister. He would call his mom, anybody he could get to coincide with his story, even though he w- they were never there. So mm-hmm. it became to the point where my mental health began to deteriorate. And I put up with it for a really long time. I put up with it for the kids. It was always about sticking around for the kids because every time I wanted to leave, he'd be like, well, you're going to destroy our family and you come from a broken home. So you don't want to do that to your child. And so by the time I actually left, what it took was all of you guys and the neighbors because my family, well, my biological family, because I consider you guys my family, was never on my side. The first time he hit me, like, like again, hard enough to leave marks, they were like, well, what did you do first? What did you do? He said, you did this. I'm pretty sure you did that. So overall, the marriage was very toxic. It was a very toxic cycle of, I love you. I hate you. I need you. Please don't leave me. And it finally ended when the boundaries crossed that I felt the kids weren't safe anymore. Like it got to the point where I literally was staying up late to make sure he would go to bed because I was worried that some, he was going to do something stupid and the kids would be impacted by it. Wow. That's really sad to hear. And I think a lot of the people listening right now are going to feel the same way. Um, so did you try to leave sooner? Yeah, I tried multiple times to leave sooner. There were, I think when my daughter was like two months old, I had actually packed up all my stuff. I had, I had everything in boxes and I went to my mom's and I, I tried to ask her about leaving and coming home and she wasn't really for it. You know, she, she went back and forth, so to speak. First, she was like, yeah, you should come home. I didn't really, I didn't have the courage to tell her, Hey, my marriage failed and I need you to take me home. I would just say things like, you know, he's really busy right now. I would really like the extra help with the kids. And so we'd stay for a while And he knew why I was there. He knew exactly why I was staying with my mom. And he would come get us back like, oh, she just overreacted. It's not a big deal. She just can't handle being a new mother. She can't handle the, the, you know, what it's like to be a kid. So my mom would shove me out again. And the time I packed all my boxes, I had a friend who's actually going to let me stay with them in Santa Clara for a while. And then I had a friend who was going to let me stay with them in Fairfield Both of them dropped off after talking to him because he just has this way of words. So he had a way of like, no, she doesn't understand. I didn't do anything wrong. She's the person who did something wrong. 
and you know, relationships got ruined and he would isolate me. He had been isolating me since before we got married. And at this point in time, it became to the point where I literally did not want to make any friends because I knew it wasn't going to last long. I, I had so many people that I would turn to and then he'd be like, well, I just want to share with you my side of the story. And then the next thing I know, they're just yelling at me in public or something would go down to the point where I was literally alone that entire time. So I thought in my logic at the time, because I hadn't gone into counseling, it was better for me to stay because I could protect my kids better that way because of how persuasive he was. I thought if we divorced that he would get half custody and then I couldn't, I couldn't have any control over whether or not he decided to hit them one day or anything like that. So my logic as messed up as it sounds was if I stay in the marriage long enough, I can take the punches for my kids. I can take the abuse for my kids and they get the big, you know, like the imaginary perfect parents. And that wasn't the case at all. So that was a lot of messed up thinking because I didn't have anybody and I didn't know any better at the time. Wow. Okay, so considering your, your home life and then the the fact that you couldn't have friends because then he would just turn it around on, on you and it would just leave you completely alone. Uh, what was your, how, what would you say your, your, your mental health was from the start until towards the end? I went from being really disassociated, which means for those out there who doesn't know what dissociation was, is I'm physically here, but I'm mentally checked out. Like I could never socialize with anybody. I thought I was the worst person in the world. I literally thought everybody hated me to by the very end over the last, I want to say starting in 2017 when he went on deployment and subsequently dumped me while he was on deployment, I started getting really bad postpartum. There was a point where I will transparently say I wanted to die and I was willing to take the steps to go there, but I stopped because of the kids. Because I said, if I'm going through this, imagine what he would do to them and there was no way in hell I was going to leave the kids alone with him. Right, yeah. So what did you do to stay on top of your mental health with everything that was going on? So the first step I took was I told my doctor my the birth of Hannah was really traumatic as you guys know but the viewers don't know I actually almost died during that birth so I told my doctor I said look I feel depressed I don't even want to wake up anymore she immediately put me on Zoloft she immediately put me on counseling the problem when you get help a person with narcissism they want to hurt you further they don't want to seem like the bad guy so when I told them that I was getting help and counseling he could feel that he was losing control. So he would say things like, you're weak. You need pills to function. What kind of mother are you? Do I have to come home just to show you what being a parent is all about? So I dropped the pills thinking I still wanted to save my marriage. I wanted to make sure everything was okay. And I started exercising. So I would exercise every single day. And then I started taking classes on nutrition because I was like, okay, there's a reason I'm feeling feeling this way. And I discovered I was actually severely vitamin D deficient. So I changed that. I added the supplements that I needed. I decided to run every time I was sad. I decided to take the girls out to the park more. And we went to the beach a lot more. 
And sure enough, those little things were pulling me out of my depression. And from there, I started to build a plan of, okay, I don't know if my marriage is going to make it, but I need to make sure that I can make it on my own. So I developed an income for myself because I'd been a stay-at-home mom for a while. I started saving money for myself, not in a malicious way. It was just a, just in case I need it. And this is what makes me feel good. And then I went back to college because I already already had gone to college, done my thing, but I wasn't happy in the career choice that I made. So these little things and affirmations is how I stayed on top of the mental health. But it is a continuous game. You can't just say, I'm perfectly fine today because I did, you know, X, Y, and Z exercises. Mental health is a long-term problem. And for everybody, it doesn't mean you're crazy. It means, yeah, sometimes you get sad and sometimes you get depressed. And you need to deal with it. You need to find positive ways to deal with it and positive outlets versus addictive patterns and behaviors, which can be alcohol, smoking, drinking, sex, like the things that aren't going to positively impact your life. So in doing research and educating myself, I was able to stay on top of that. And I still have to do it today because, I mean, we're in a pandemic. I think we all need a little bit of mental health right now. Yeah, for sure. So what did your ex do in response to you gaining your self-confidence back and dealing with your mental health? It was immediately a love bomb for like two weeks. And I was like, these are the best two weeks of my life. I'm getting independent. He absolutely loves me. We are finally making our marriage work. And then it was again with the I hid my cell phone from you. And I wasn't the type to be like, give me your cell phone. Let me look through your stuff. But if I needed to make a phone call, he would not let me touch his phone. And those were always red flags. And then it would be little digs here and there like, wow, you looked so good when I came home from deployment, but you're starting to get really fat. Maybe you shouldn't eat that bagel. Or maybe you really need to prioritize what you're doing with your life. Or, and I tell him things like, oh, I think I might want to be a police officer because at the time I was going there, he's like, oh, you can't do that. You're not skilled enough to do that. I'm only thinking of you. And then he would start to monopolize and take over things like with Arizona State, which is where I go, instead of allowing me to do my classes, like a normal relationship would be, he would literally take over my classes and make it sound like I asked him for that. He would be like, well, you have to take care of the kids. So let me just take this test for you. You really aren't smart enough to pass this test or do this assignment. So it'd become this ongoing fight. Like this is my schoolwork. What are you trying to do? You know? And there were a couple of times that he would purposely sabotage it. And I'd have to go back to the teacher and be like, Hey, I didn't do this test. Like this glitched or something. So what can we do about this? Because this is not my grade and I studied for it. So these little sabotaging moments is what they do. They, have to purposely kind of implode whatever is going on. And any career opportunities, it was always the kids come first, you're being a bad mom. So it was a mix of holding my hand and slapping me in the face. And that was his response. Wow. (laughs) So a big question here, is marital rape a real thing? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's something your demographic needs to know because there's, I'm sorry. The generations before you, we've messed up in so many different ways. You guys need to learn from what we've done. 
back in like the 1940s, the 1950s, up until like 2000, you know, women were told to submit to their husbands. So that includes sex, right? Like you, it's like you get married and they feel like they have a ticket to your body, which I didn't understand. That's not how it works. I came from a small town. I came from a, you know, a broken family. So I didn't have, you know, that example to look off of. I was looking towards other examples in the neighborhood. And all I saw were these women who would submit to whatever sexual need their husband wanted and ignore their own needs or ignore the fact that, you know, maybe they didn't want to have sex that day. Like the first time something really happened that really upset me was we were having sex to be really transparent since we're all adults here. And my daughter walked into the room. She was like 12 months old at the time. And I'm like, you have to stop. And he's like, nope, we're not stopping. And I was like, you have to stop. And he's like, we're not stopping. I'm going to finish first. And I'm like, she's here. Like, you have to stop. And he held me down. And I told his mom, I was like, this bothers me. Like, that's rape. And she's like, honey, you're married. There's no such thing as rape. He got carried away and that was selfish, but that wasn't rape. Had I gone over to a police officer instead of a Christian woman who had morals from like, again, the 1950s, they would have told me, no, he just raped you because you literally said no and consent is important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it got so bad to the point where it was like, every time he would apologize. I, you know, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I got carried away. And then it got to the point where I was actually miscarrying and he decided he wanted to have sex and I started bleeding and I was like, I don't want to do this. And he's like, well, I just have to finish. I was literally bleeding on the floor crying because the doctor had told us, no, you can't have sex during a miscarriage. It'll give you an infection. And sure as hell it did give me infection. And he didn't care as long as he got his, I was on the floor crying. He went into the room and he went to sleep and acted like nothing ever happened. That is not a marriage that that entire time I had no control over my own body or the autonomy of it. Like I could lie down. It's one thing if you guys decide as a couple, Oh yeah. You know, if you surprise me while I'm sleeping, sorry, fogged up my own mirror. Like if you surprise me while I'm sleeping, I would really like that. And it's another when you know that one of you has constant medical problems and you're, you're pushing yourself on them anyways. Marital rape is real. And for anybody who tells you that it isn't, that isn't okay. Because anybody you marry should have the love and respect for you to understand there are times you just can't, you can't do it or the times you don't want to do it. And that should be a normal thing. Right. Yeah. Consent is a huge thing. That's like, it's, it's really important in any relationship you have, whether it's just a boyfriend, girlfriend, or you're actually married. It's, huge consent can be given and then immediately retracted at any point so i get that uh marital rape can be really a really big big thing especially with older uh the older generations who believe that the women have to submit to the man once you're married because that's just how that works and it's really not Mm -mm. so moving on uh just to i wanted to talk about or bring up you had a you had a uh, you had a son before henry uh who was joshua Mm -hmm. Uh, what was life like after he died oh it was a living hell I'm not gonna lie like I never saw my ex cry over Joshua he 
he acted like he was crying and then it was really self-inflicted. He would dig his hands into his own arms to have tears welled up. And that was a time where I knew my marriage was over. I, we had been fighting the night before. It was about spilled milk, but really it was about this girl at his work that he had started feelings for. And my daughter spilling the milk just kind of amplified everything. And I woke up to, sorry, do you guys still see me? Because you guys The okay. camera and the uh, audio keep going out. Okay. Well, am I back now? I see yes. myself. Yes. Okay, perfect. So with that in mind, you know, we were fighting. He dies the next day. And, you know, like most people take the time to grieve. Within hours, their dad was already smiling and laughing. I couldn't even get out of the shower. I, I felt like a failure of a mom. I, I literally wanted to die. I literally was like, I can't even keep a baby alive. And I had to be dragged out of bed. Like I still had Adriana and he got increasingly mean because there was this girl at his job he had feelings for. And, you know, I was fat. I was unattractive. I just lost this baby and I just didn't appeal to him anymore. And the more I tried to get close to him, the more he pushed me away. And like the day after Joshua died, I freaked out because death changes you. It leaves this traumatic impact on you. And I freaked out and I was in denial. I was like, he's not dead. If I run to the hospital, he's going to be there. And I started running towards the hospital, you know, and their dad picked me up and he squeezed me so tight. I felt like I was going to die. Like I felt like I was being choked. And I was like, I just want to go to the hospital. Please just let me go to the hospital. And he started slapping me in the face in front of broad daylight, in front of everybody. Like he slapped me repeatedly until I fell to the ground. And when the neighbor came out and was like, are you okay? He literally put his hand over my mouth and was like, she's just fine. She's hysterical. And so in a moment when police came, he literally got up and acted like he hadn't done anything. And I straight up bolted to the hospital and I sat at its doors and I cried. And I remember this woman, it was a very sweet Hispanic woman. She met me at the hospital and she's like, why are you crying? And I was like, I just lost my son. And she held me and she handed me a flower. And I remember sitting there thinking like, I lost my son and my husband just slapped the crap out of me. And, you know, minutes later, my ex shows up with my mom and they're like, She's like, are you okay? Are you fine? And he grabs me by the wrist. And I distinctly remember he ran his hands across my face. And at the time I was like, oh, he's being sweet. And then I realized it was to check if he had left any marks on me. And that wasn't the only incident. Two weeks after he died, I got up in front of church and I was devastated. I just kept trying to cling to him because I didn't have anything. And I I broke down in tears. I was like, I was supposed to bless my baby today. And he's not here because he died. And um, I will never forget being caught by him. He grabbed me by the wrist and then he gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, he's finally comforting me the way I want. And he whispered into my ear, I wish you would just fucking get over it already. Two weeks after our son died, I wish you would fucking get over it already. And so I bolted into the room 
And I sat there crying, looking and praying to God that my son would come back because it was the only thing that had kept me happy that whole time was having a son and a daughter, just having them both. And Adriana came into the room. She sat with me and she brought somebody into the room too. Like somebody, she, she was with a friend and she brought somebody into the room with me and they both looked at me and they held me and they're like, She's like, your daughter came to get me. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, she came to get me because she said you're really sad. And daddy was being really mean. That was the perfect time for me to say something. And I didn't because he came in and was like, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. But every time doors close, things change. Even with his parents, things change. I will never say a bad thing about my father-in-law. He was a saint. He is a saint. Me and my mother-in-law have had more of a toxic relationship. And I remember small things that made me question my sanity. Like she handed me a bag of pills once and she goes, times like this, people become very suicidal. That's not the point of this. I just want you to take enough pills to sleep. But it would be a shame if you thought you wanted to kill yourself because, you know, your son died. You know, little digs like that, that really it hit my self-esteem hard. Joshua dying and then subsequently finding out that I was pregnant with Ivy because of a rape right after Joshua died was the most mentally racking thing. And it was the time when I said to myself, I don't care how long it takes. I need to get out of this fucking marriage. Like I remember saying that I was like, I never want Audrana to go through this. But again, after that, it was a lot of love bombing, a lot of back and forth and a lot of feeling crazy. Right. So let's move on and let's talk about, um, why don't you speak about a time that he isolated you? You know, he has cluster B personality disorder. He doesn't let it be known, but all his treatments follow that pattern. And I've been told by doctors and professionals, he's a narcissist and narcissists isolate you from day one. And that was 100% true. When we were dating, he isolated me from my circle of friends under the pretense, you know, we don't do that. We don't drink. We don't, we don't hang out. We don't do stuff like that. You know, you're a good Mormon girl now and you're not going to do stuff like that. And, you know, for me, it was never, I didn't want to hang out with them. For me, it, it started to be, he would slip things in there because I had a very, I had a rough personality. I was very much like, I don't care what you say. My friends are my friends. He would slip things in there like, oh, I heard Jessica say this about you. Or I heard Amanda say this about you. They really don't want you here. And if someone says it to you enough times and they don't give you enough time to clarify with that person, then you start to believe things. I also, you know, didn't notice how many times he would start turning my friends away from the door. Like the baby's sleeping. It's too late. Why would you have friends there? So that was number one. During my wedding, he completely changed the date of our wedding and expected me to change it. Like he had changed it to fit his brother's schedule. I had a bunch of people coming out and he decided we were going to get married this weekend. And so I had family members who had tickets from the Philippines over here. My best friend, Jessica was supposed to be my maid of honor. She did not get to go. And that was the, I think that was honestly the incident that broke our back. Like we were closer than you two. We were closer than you two. We spent every day together since we were 14. We had businesses together. We 
we went to Disneyland together. We went to trips together. We did everything together. And, and it's partially my fault because I didn't realize what was going on. We, till this day, like we'll still say hi to each other, but it's not the same because he knew if she stayed in my life, I wasn't going to tolerate the abuse. But I will say this, despite what he did and despite how much I became of a recluse, the minute Joshua died, she and all my friends were the first people out. She were the, I hadn't seen her in months and she was the first person by my side and the last person to leave when the funeral ended. So till this day, I have so much love for her. I didn't know that was isolation. The final isolation came was when people realized that he had actually punched me, that he ran away for an entire week from his kids and family. And he said, look, Fairfield's not for us anymore. It's my family's fault. My dad and my mom, if I could just get away from them, I would be the perfect husband for you. Come out to Chicago. You'll have a home. I'll be in the military. You don't have to work anymore because I was still working full time until that point. And we'll be a family. This is Chicago is the place we'll be a family. I went out to Chicago. His command didn't even know I was there. They didn't have a home. They didn't have nothing. The only reason why we ended up staying there is because I went into preterm labor with Sophia. I went to go talk to an ombudsman while I was in contractions. And then it didn't become a matter of, I love you and I'm so glad we're here. It became a matter of, oh, I get to live in a home if she stays out here. I get to have this if she stays out here. I get to skip work if she's so sick. So he isolated me there. And when things went south in Chicago, he said, San Diego is going to be our home. San Diego is going to be the place where we finally get it right. And San Diego is the place where he tried to start isolating me from my own kids. I remember Ivy coming up to me crying and was like, daddy said this about you, but I don't like it. It doesn't make me feel good inside. And I don't think it's true. And we would have arguments about that kind of stuff every day. Cause I'm like, I'm not trying to make you look bad in front of the kids. I'm not trying to make them say nasty things about you. I don't know why you're doing that. And he would deny it. And then Ivy would say something like, you're stupid. You're this. And I noticed she would only do it when he was home. And now that he's been gone, she admitted like he would always want her to say certain things to me. And, you know, he would casually not have enough room at the table for me to sit and eat dinner with them. And, So the isolation was literally the entire marriage. And now that we're in the stage of the discard, he's definitely trying now, like trying to make sure that my family is on his side, which they are. But quite frankly, I don't give a fuck anymore. Sorry if that was too not PG for your community. Oh, oh crap. That's perfect. (laughs) Like, you know, I, he tried to break me down, but because of you guys and because of heavy counseling and heavy self-love, I was able to realize my self-worth and realize anybody who believes him anyways is not somebody that deserves to be in my life. Right. Yeah. So let's get into what did you learn from this experience and like what things do you have to give advice to people who may be in this situation as well? So this is part two and I'm hoping this doesn't get blocked, but I hope, I hope, hope, hope that it just goes through. The story's a long one, but in this part too, I learned the importance of healthy boundaries. Any person that cares about you will respect your healthy boundaries, and that's a normal part of life. You have the right to say no, you have the right to body autonomy, and you have the right to be respected at all times. Jokes 
jokes aren't funny when they hurt your feelings. Like right. it's one thing, you know, it's one thing if you guys are talking and having a good time with each other, but jokes are not funny when they hurt your feelings and they're on a consistent basis. I also learned the importance of mental health because like I said, during that time, it is not, there is no surprise why my mental health deteriorated. And had I known the skills that I know now, I would have taken care of it sooner and in a better fashion. But I was building the foundation that I believe every person should have in their everyday life. And I think you had a part two. Um, if somebody else was in this situation, I would definitely tell them that, hey, get out. It's not normal. He does not love you. Your actions need to match up with your words. And that's flat out the truth because, and here, if you don't believe that, you have to trust in patterns, right? Because sometimes people are like, actions and words don't match up, but patterns are consistent. So if someone's saying they love you, but they're consistently disregarding your feelings or consistently on dating sites, they do not love you. And you need to be strong enough and have enough self-love for yourself to walk away from situations like that because it leads you down a path of darkness. It leads you down a path of spiraling. It leads you down a path that sets the tone for your children and your children's children because generational curses are real. Generational issues with domestic violence are real. You get the chance to break it and it doesn't matter what anybody says. If your mother is being toxic, cut her out. If your father is being toxic, cut him out. If your brother and sister are being toxic, you will find new family in different ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I fully believe that if you, the more you move, the more you travel and, and uh, visit, find new places to, to live, you'll eventually make new family. So if your biological family is toxic, cut them out. You'll find some better family. Right. What do you guys think of this situation? This is the first time that you guys are really hearing pieces of the story. I know you guys knew bits and pieces because you know me so well. Right. Yeah. But how now hearing this part of the story, how does that impact what you guys are doing with your podcast? Sorry. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, with this information, it makes me realize that a lot of people like they choose to stay when they have the choice to leave. But they don't think they have the choice. Exactly. Like they're told they don't have a choice by whoever they're in the relationship with. But in reality, they have a choice to leave. They just don't have either the the knowledge that they can or they're, mm -hmm. they're afraid to. Yeah. So it's pretty crazy. And I mean, I, I, we obviously knew that a lot of the stuff that had happened and gone down in your guys's relationship because we are so close to you and i think hearing a lot more uh really brings light to the situation and realizing like how much worse it really was yeah and i mean i think that your message is great to people that you know if you have the choice and it's not like you're being forced to say you're mentally forcing yourself to say because you're giving yourself all of these excuses as to why it's a better way to stay but in reality, it's better to get out when you can. If, when and if you can. Like, so if you have the opportunity to leave, always you know, make sure how you have a plan or throw, to, throw, the, throw together a plan if you can and get out as soon as possible. As soon as you realize what, something's wrong, just 
get as far away from toxic as you possibly can with from mm-hmm. uh hearing about what happened what happened after joshua um died the the pieces i didn't know it only angers me just knowing that people had the opportunity to help you out of the situations but he only he twisted it so that he could keep you where he wanted you for longer and it's just it, it makes me angry that people can just that people have the capability to do this by the time I met you guys, it had become such a normal thing. I was afraid to tell you guys what was happening because I was afraid what it was just going to repeat the same cycle. I would lose you guys too. But I will say this, you guys were the first people to believe me and tell me you need to get out. And I appreciate that. Something I want to tell your viewership is a few statistics your age demographic has the highest rates for domestic violence, suicide, and mental health issues, especially during COVID. Most of the time, people your age don't leave because they got married young. Their parents told them they were going to fail, and ultimately, they don't believe anything else. They say they believe in the sanctity of their marriage is the phrase that gets thrown around often. And they're like, okay, well, I have to stick it out because I believe in my marriage. Right. That's not correct. And just throwing it out there, because I know you guys are new to the podcast game. GFI actually has a partnership with Surviving to Thriving. So what we do is we help people in domestically violent situations, get the tools they need to get out, develop a plan, get the mental health they need, and and give them some disposable income to save and get out for that. So if any of your viewers are looking for a way to get out, they need to speak up. Yeah, that'd be that's that'd be great for anybody that needs help. Definitely go to GFI, go to uh, Surviving to Thriving, and f- just find any way you can get out. That seems like a really great way to get started in your journey to a uh, better life. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. So I think that we're going to end it here. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on and telling us your story. And we're really hoping that this helps a lot of people and a lot of the viewers out there as well. Also hoping that part two does not get taken down because it's really important for a lot of viewers to know. Yeah. Like just hear your story and know that there's, there's a better future for those who need it. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And for the record, I am a lot happier now than I was back then. So. We're great to hear that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you in our next podcast.